I'm Noel Halsman, and this is Open Concept from Yahoo Finance. I made this podcast to bring attention to the entrepreneurs and innovators in Canadian business. Every week, at least at the start, I will be sitting down with someone who is leading their industry, pioneering a new product or service, or just making interesting things happen. Join me as we go from the corner office to an open concept. This week, every little detail counts. I did it progressively, like sprint, Olympic, all the way up to Ironman, but um, yeah, I was pretty hooked after that point. Hi, my name is Stephanie Jamais. I'm uh, the owner and co-founder of Brava Triathlon. What do you do if you're a runner, cyclist, or swimmer, and you don't like the apparel you're working out in? For most of us, that's an opportunity to go shopping. Sooner or later, you'll find something that fits well and looks great. Stephanie Jamais and Jacinthe Lachapelle, however, decided to skip that step. When the two Montreal triathletes found their choices of endurance gear fell short of their standards, they decided to take matters in their own hands, literally, and launch their own clothing line. Brava Triathlon is the result. Clothing by women for women. The two-year-old online company is now a very visible presence at every major triathlon in Canada, and the brand is increasingly showing up at the start lines in races in the US and across Europe. I invited the brand's co-founders to our Toronto studio, while Jacin is about to give birth and can't fly. Stephanie joined me on the team's behalf to discuss where fashion meets function, the hurdles to keeping production in Canada, and how starting your own triathlon brand, ironically, leaves little time to enjoy the sport you love. As kind of, a, I guess, a newbie triathlete, usually you start as part of a club. And so you, you know, you don't really have any apparel or gear and you kind of, you usually end up getting some custom club gear. So you have your club colors and logos. And, you know, at that point, you know, you're, you're fine with what you have because that's all you know. But then once I started getting into longer distances, I kind of realized that, you know, it wasn't comfortable enough. It would ride up. You know, it wasn't made for women. It really didn't fit the physiognomy of a woman's body. And, you know, when you're doing four or five hours of biking and then running an hour after, even just to train, it kind of became annoying. And just like seeing pictures of us in the gear, when you think you're so, you look great, and then you see a picture and you're like, oh, maybe that doesn't fit so well. Stephanie and her business partner, Jacin, met during a time trial event. Jacin was even the one to convince Stephanie to sign up for her first Ironman. And while the pair enjoyed training together, they found themselves constantly complaining about their gear. So in 2015, while they were training for Ironman Muskoka, Stephanie approached Jessin with an even bolder idea. And I kind of just brought it up during one of those long five-hour bike rides. Like, you know, it'd be cool to, there's so many, like, great cycling apparel companies around the world that do really nice things. And, you know, we don't really have that here. It'd be cool to just maybe start something exclusive, something small. And it kind of just... You know, that, that conversation happened and then a couple weeks later she emailed me and was like, you know, I was really thinking about what you said and, you know, I think there could be a market. There's nothing really in Canada. And then we started looking into it a bit more seriously. We started looking into fabrics and it kind of wasn't as calculated as, as somebody might think, but we just kind of dove in and started investing and looking at stuff and, and that's how Brava came to be. My question to Stephanie, how, why, and what made you think you could take on Rocco, DeSoto, Zoot, Garneau, Izumi, to name just some of the very established and very big apparel companies in this space, especially when neither she nor Jacin have a background in clothing or design? 
Because there wasn't much available for women, um, there are some companies doing uh, women's apparel, women-specific apparel in the United States. Um, but there was the barrier of, you know, ordering it online and yeah. uh, the American dollar at the time wasn't, you know, it was much stronger and then the customs and there were some purchase barriers there for Canadian women. And we believe that the um, the style, like the American style is a little bit different too. It's a little bit more wild and like American flags and skull and crossbones and fluorescent colors. And we're a little bit more, although we do have unique designs, it's a little bit more humble and toned down, I think. Um, yeah. So I don't think that all of those American companies would necessarily cater to the taste of a Canadian woman either. Yeah, that was I was interested in in sort of drilling into that. That what was it about the American apparel that didn't appeal? And so it, primarily from a design perspective, as opposed to fit or uh, I guess look versus functionality. That was kind of the issue that you had. Yeah, and then also. We were looking for something that would be really high quality because, you know, that if you don't take either, if you don't take care of your pal or if you're, yes. the fabrics aren't super good quality, you got to kind of let go of that gear because it becomes yes. smelly yes. <laughs> after a while. So um, we really, for us, it was important to have really high quality fabrics. So we sourced them in Europe and to have things locally made. I think Quebec in particular, people are very proud when things are made locally and I think nationally too what made in Quebec and Canada was like a big a big deal whereas some of those companies were all made in the US or made in China so that was another factor I should stop here and mention that triathlon clothing typically comes in one color black occasionally you'll see some red and white a few silver stripes and maybe a maple leaf when you're in Canada what you haven't seen until now is the stunning impressionist hues that exemplify Brava's designs and I don't want this to sound like an ad. However, the only reason I know about the company is because a friend was wearing their clothing and it stood out so dramatically that I asked her where she got it. I'm interested in the design element because while Bravo clothes are visually beautiful, you would not look at them and think, that's Canadian or that's from Quebec. And not that Quebec clothing needs to have a fleur de lis or that Canada has to be represented in red and white colors, but there's nothing distinctive or obvious about the clothing that makes you say, that's clearly from here. So we, we try and have a story behind each print. That's how, you know, we, we came up with the first uh, four prints in the first collection. Like our slogan is Brave the Day. So, you know, what a woman would go through. It's three sports. We, you know, we have the demands of work, family life, just balancing everything out. And we kind of pull inspiration from obviously colors that are in, whether it be Pantone or whether it be sourced from like nature and to pull those all together in something that could be visually appealing on a piece of clothing. Um, and we did something similar with the second collection in terms of pulling elements from nature and having them in an interesting color palette. So you, you made a, a conscious decision not to have anything sort of representative, right? Because it, it's all colors as opposed to anything that would be, which is a bit, a bit more sort of standard or typical where there's a, like, there's a picture of a bike or there's somebody running or there's X's or any of those sorts of things. There, there's nothing that actually looks like anything in particular. So, for example, I guess one of our main inspirations is where we do a training camp every spring. So 
Um, the first collection was in Tucson, Arizona. That's okay. like a big triathlete destination. Yeah. So we had a print that had cactuses. Um, so, you know, we're really known for all over prints um, as opposed to solid blocks of color. Yes. Which one of our one of our kits is called the color block, which yeah. is more features the same colors of the collection, but in a more bold and branded uh, style. And then this year we went to Maui. So we just try and choose like, you know, we're going there anyway to do a training camp. And so we try and pull inspiration from that destination and have it like as one of the the features of the collection. And are you the designer? So we do have um, a friend who who's a graphic designer. She does our prints, but we, we kind of work together in terms of building up a mood board and building up color palettes that we'd like to work with. Our supplier also has a a wide range of colors that we can, you know, pull and kind of base ourselves. From a a functional perspective, is there something distinct about a Brava fit that would be different from the other the other brands that are out there? I think our one of our most popular items is the triathlon short. The fit um, we have a yoga style waistband, so we you know we try and avoid the the muffin top as much yes. as possible to and you know promote as much comfort also italian fabrics are warp knit so depending which way you place them they'll be so they are four-way stretch but depending which way you place them they'll be they'll compress more so the way we've built the product is to optimize compression but comfort at the same time uh, we have these new bands that have no silicone but that are gripper bands and we have these great pockets on the side of the short where in competition you could use them to put gels or you know nutrition uh, but during training it fits a, a phone perfectly yes. if you need to take a phone with you yeah. and women really love that feature and I would tell you overall we're different than like you can wear our clothes for cycling they're super comfortable enough for cycling even though the chamois inside the short is a bit thinner and you know it's more breathable it's meant to be able to swim with yes. we even added carbon fiber as a feature for less chafing more breathability you know, the, a short's not just about the thickness or the largeness of the chamois. It's you can have the best chamois in the, on the planet, but if it's not sewn in or placed properly, your yes. short won't be comfortable. Yeah. So it's all about all those details coming together in one piece. And generally, the collection is a bit more fitted than a cycling jersey. It doesn't have a collar. The pockets are zipped closed, or there's one pocket in the back that's zipped closed. It has an arrow fit. So so that's made that you for a triathlon, like you could swim with it. Um, and then it carried on all the way through the run. And then, of course, I guess you could just use them as running, but they're not, the shorts are, are primarily meant for cycling. Correct. Yeah. The science behind textiles or fabric, like that must be a whole specialty in itself. Like, mm -hmm. how did you, how did you come up to speed on that? Did you just have lots of samples of Nike and Adidas and, and Zoot and, and feel? Or how did you, how did you learn what you needed to learn? We were lucky enough to have somebody who worked in the industry who kind of gave us the 101 at the very beginning. So we learned a lot about fabrics, you know, the difference on where they come from and, you know, the features, like like I said, the Italian yeah. fabrics are warp knit, so they, you, you work with them actually differently. You know, the four-way stretch versus the two-way stretch. So we, we looked at the composition too, like mainly those products are polyester and nylon fabrics. 
we also looked at the features of the fabric. So important for a triathlete would be, you know, the UPF factor, the breathability of the fabric, the, you know, how long it would technically last, the, um, the thickness, so the grams per square meter. We use a fabric that's actually made from post-recycled consumer products. Um, but it's a lot of trial and error. It's a huge learning curve because myself, uh, coming from a nutritional science background and my colleague in marketing, we don't have, we didn't have necessarily experience in the textile industry. But, you know, learning that was part of the homework we did before launching. And we surrounded ourselves with people who were well equipped, people who had the information we needed, and that helped us through that process at the very beginning. It's a very, you know, we knew it would be hard. But it's it's very detailed, like every little detail counts. Switching gears slightly, now that you have the apparel of the first line, how did you go about creating visibility? I guess that's where the marketing comes mm-hmm. in. We started doing social media before we launched the first collection, um, both on Instagram and Facebook. As you know, those channels aren't as I guess, open as they were a few years ago. Um, There's a lot more media budget that you need to put into there. But since we we were selling primarily online, like we had to be present online. Another part of our our strategy is to be in key events. Okay. So, you know, be where all the triathletes are on the big race weekends. Yeah. Those are our two main strategies. And we also cater to some custom club gear for women. Oh, I see. Okay. So like in terms of being at the, the, the main events, like were you at Tremblant? Correct. Okay. That was one of our biggest events. I, I suppose that would be an obvious one because mm-hmm. it's so close. Um, and then do you go to Placid and do you, or and do you, do you focus on the Ironman events or the, or just everything? Because of course there's only two of you. Well, I guess there'd be more than just two of you in the company, but you have to sort of resource that, right? We are just two right now. Oh, is it actually. just two? Okay. But, um, we, we have friends who help out. Okay. Um, this year, we have a group of ambassadors who will be um, assisting us uh, in the um, events. But yeah, we don't just focus Ironman. Actually, our, we focus on, yeah, obviously the, the races that are close, that yes. are key, are yeah. easier to get to. This year, we're going to be heading out west. So one of our strategies this year is to try and expand in the rest of Canada and be a little bit more present on the West Coast and the East Coast. So we are going to be going out West. So Ironman Canada and Whistler? Yeah. Oh, excellent. Yeah. We'll be coming back to Toronto for one or two races. It just depends because it falls really close to Ironman Canada if we can ship our stuff out there. (laughs) Yeah, that's why I I can't do TTF this year because I'm doing Whistler. Oh, we'll we'll see you there. (laughs) Yeah. In terms of, again, with the marketing piece, the sponsorship of athletes like Mm -hmm. the Lionel Sanders and... And, and the elite in Canada and, and internationally. Is that something that's on the horizon or is that just such an expensive proposition that it's going to kind of be sort of phase two or three? So we already do have a sponsored athlete. Um, it's Stéphanie Roy. So she's, okay, yeah, um, yeah. She, she races 70.3. Yeah. She's a local athlete from Three Rivers. And then we do have some elite ambassadors around Canada, actually, nationally, we have a couple from Ontario and uh, another one from Quebec. So, yeah, we are doing that slowly but surely. And, of course, working with athletes who are rising stars and -and up-and-comers is different than working with an athlete who's well-established and um, maybe American. And, you know, there's, there's a lot that goes into that in terms of, like, prize money and bonuses and stuff. Oh, that you would have to 
that you would have to sort of shell out for the the more elite established U.S. based ones. Okay. Correct. Yeah. So we don't have the budget for that yet, but the the story fits really well with you know Stephanie, the racing she's doing, and you know the the local aspect of that. Being with her as she's building her career, it's a good fit. Coming up, one of the biggest, most unexpected challenges new clothing companies in Canada will confront. Years ago, I interviewed uh, Chip Wilson, you know, who, who obviously founded Lululemon. And at the time, uh, Lululemon, everything was manufactured in Canada. And, and so we talked a very similar conversation to this. Uh, what he had said is the Canadian government needs to allow more seamstresses in, right? And, and unless we get more seamstresses in Canada, we're not going to stay, we're not going to be able to manufacture in Canada. And, I, and it's something that had never even occurred to me as a, as a constraint. Is that something that you bump up against yeah. now? And especially a seamstress who knows how to work with four-way stretch fabrics. Yes. And a seamstress who knows how to show, sew a chamois into a short, like they don't run the streets. So yes. I don't want to say it. it's a dying, uh, the textile, the, the textile industry used to be booming in Montreal. And yeah. it's, you know, about 20 years ago, it kind of moved uh, overseas and so finding you know that ex- somebody who has that expertise is is not easy um, and definitely I would agree with uh, Chip Wilson in saying like you know when once you get to a certain point and you don't if you can't produce the clothing then um, or at the rate that it, the business is growing then yeah we you might need to look elsewhere. How and how important is it do you feel for consumers that something's made in Canada cuz I know when I look mm-hmm. at something if I was looking at Brava I would look at the colors and mm-hmm. then the the fit and the price point and obviously the where it's made should be a consideration but it's not always the top one right mm-hmm. How much more do you think is the audience prepared to pay for that So we did a a survey before we launched and we did a survey a customer survey uh, at the end of last season and the values that we have on hand are about 20 percent so somebody's willing to pay about 20 percent more for something that's made locally yeah in our population yes so you know triathletes are you know if you look at their household income and the what they spend their disposable income on they have a higher than average household income yes and they spend a lot of their disposable income on the sport they practice yes on gear on bikes like it's an yes. expensive sport it's an expensive so, <laughs> sport <laughs> i know it well yeah so <laughs> i guess we're lucky enough to have that niche that you know is really dedicated to their sport and spends you know time and money yeah um, on gear and apparel i don't know how candid you can be on this but how much discretion do you typically have on price point because clearly you have to pay yourself and you have to cover your costs uh, and you want to make profit but at the same time you you want to sell the item is there like a, a fairly big bandwidth or does it kind of dictate itself based on all the costs involved I would say we we do a huge competitive analysis nationally and internationally and we look at prices of all companies we also look at our cost but our cost is also affected by things like shipping it's affected by yes. things like returns and when i say shipping i mean like cost of goods sold like to get the fabric yeah, of over course. and yeah. and then you know things that surprises in production that you know we might have to redo something or we you know there's there's some waste 
you know, unfortunately, like in the in a production like that, there are there's some fabric that's yes. that's wasted. And yes. So I would tell you that we're priced pretty competitively for the quality that we offer. And in terms of the leeway in pricing, I think that, yeah, we could have priced it higher. We still need to make it accessible. So I think we kind of went halfway. Uh, in terms of the learnings, uh, it's still obviously a very, a very new enterprise, a young company. Are there things that you know now that three years ago you wish you knew? Um, that's not an easy question. Um, I wish I knew how much detail went into this. Like, I think we kind of touched on that piece earlier. Yeah. But maybe we may have taken it for granted a little bit as how detail-oriented everything is. Can you, you know, give me an example of where something that just requires incredible detail that you may not have anticipated? So when you're building a prototype, for example, yeah. you know, and we decide we want to largen the 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 seam of the, uh, the opening of the leg, for yes. example, it's not just one little step. Like the pattern maker has to go through it, change the pattern. Uh, we need to redo all of our electronic files. Okay. We need to get that to our production house. And then, you know, if we decide to change one color, well, it's the color of the, the thread you're going to buy. Like, there's just so many things to think about. Yes. And if you miss one of those steps, you know, things at the end of the line, and it, because we're not doing it ourselves and we're subcontracting, the yes. communication needs to be super fluid. So yeah, sometimes if you, you know, you miss out on one little step or one little detail at the end, you can have a nasty surprise. Yes. So taking that into consideration, that might have saved us a couple bucks and a few, yes. many hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause but I it's guess, part of the learning curve, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, for sure. What challenges comes with having a, a business partnership, you you're both sort of CEOs, correct? Yeah. How do you make decisions in the event that there's disagreements? I'd say we're Ajay Saint and I are fortunate enough to be we're good friends. Yes. And we still remain good friends. I think what takes a toll on us is we both still work full time, and yes. so you know finding the time to, to meet, to have conference calls, to make those decisions. You know sometimes we have things that are quite urgent that need to be dealt with. But I, I, I don't think we tend to disagree that much. I think we do have this, we share the same vision and, you know, she has her expertise, like she's in marketing. So, yes. you know, I, I let her call the shots on, on that type of stuff. Me being a dietitian, nutritionist, I'm by nature very detail oriented. So, okay. yes. you know, and in my job, I approve many, you know, medical documents. So, you know, I, I have that eye to yes. look at detailed stuff or, you know, I, I'm a little bit more social media inclined sure. <laughs> and sure. electronically inclined. So I take care of a lot of, you know, the databases and the social media stuff. I think that's normal is we, we can't be doing everything. And yes. so we, we have a, a share. So you have sort of your separate spheres, right? Yeah. And you defer to the other in that area to Correct. a certain extent. One of the, the challenges that I know of a lot of people who are certainly dedicated athletes, maybe it's a bit more at the at the elite level, but they choose to make a, a career out of their sport in one way or the other, whether mm -hmm. it's coaching or however it happens to unfold. But then there's this tension between doing the sport and doing what is their new project, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I've often seen that balance not managed super well, right? Because it's very difficult. It's very difficult to train for an Ironman while doing a full-time job mm -hmm. to say nothing of doing that and also 
running a company. So how is there some irony here that you've created apparel that you can no longer wear? Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, and you you know you describe that very well. Like, I don't think I've been this sedentary in a long time. I'm kind of rolling with like the flow here. Yeah. I mean, this is the time we need to put into the business to to make it successful. And so you know, I'm I'm happy to be at events, cheering people on, and being at the expo. Like, I still really love the triathlon community, but I've I'm not competing this year, for example. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, my, my business partner's pregnant, so she'll be on mat leave yes. <laughs> as well. So she's not competing either. No. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we don't get to wear it as much. But, I mean, I still, you know, make time to, to do some physical activity in yes. my gear. That would be fairly critical. It's not just discretionary. Like, you really need to be wearing yeah. your, your clothes and presumably wearing other people's stuff as well in terms of understanding where things are going you know especially in in the types of things we want to be developing too so and like being on top of like what's the next fabrics and types of zippers like there's so many details so um, every little thing that we can improve you know we can take that step where do you see the innovation coming from because every year there's maybe maybe it's even more than once a year there's a new line of of apparel but i often wonder like okay well once you got the running shorts and or the cycling jersey like where where could that possibly go i guess you could the fabrics could improve and the mm-hmm. zippers but beyond the colors how much room is there for improvement do you think i'm not sure you know i i think that it's really and I don't think any company, even Brava, like it's hard to make something that'll fit 100% of people yeah. 100% of the time. And I think that we need to accept that as makers of apparel. But yeah, I do think that we can be innovative with a lot of things. Like, for example, I don't know many companies who, who use recycled fibers. I compost at home. I do a lot to in terms of environmental choices, even in what I'm eating. So I think for us, trying to reduce our impact makes on the planet, you know, is is a decision that we made. And then, yeah, so that's innovation in terms of the fibers that we're using. And I see that evolving. I mean, there's a lot of features in the technology of the fibers. I'm not sure exactly if how much more further we can push it right now, but I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, something new comes up in the next few years. But yeah, the the colors and the fit is definitely the top priority. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Making it comfortable and, and you know, from the whole yoga movement, like women want to feel beautiful when they're riding and they want to be comfortable. Yeah, it seems to me that the sort of heat and uh, temperature management would seem to be an area that I'm not a, a materials expert, but that's an area where it strikes me that there could potentially be innovation mm-hmm. because when you're, if you're running, you know, and I, we all experience this, sometimes it's very hot out and sometimes it's very cold and sometimes it's hot and cold in the same yep. in your same long run right and uh, the fabrics can be comfortable but they don't seem to respond to that right yeah so like deflecting the sun type of fabric yeah or whatever it would be required <laughs> to make those sort of adjustments for yeah. you right mm-hmm. i think wearables is also yeah. kind of in the next generation but i mean that's probably one of the innovations i know of but that very few companies are doing now, but I think it's probably in the next year or two that we'll see that a little bit more. Like, for example, in sports bras, to have a heart rate monitor integrated. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, Is the price point kind of there yet? Or do you do you think that 
are we uh, sort of off from that? I and, think the wearables are still quite expensive. Yes. Yeah, I think those bras must go for about $100. On things like the exit strategy for you, yeah. I, I can imagine that you could get to a certain point, and you, you may be very well at this point now, where people have seen you and they've and they've uh, you've made a splash, and then you become an acquisition target, right? And then in some respects, your life could be so much easier, right? But then it's no longer your baby. Mm-hmm. How do you view that prospect or that possibility? I would say I don't think it's in the near future, but I think that you know if the opportunity presents itself, um, we'd have to evaluate it at that point. It's definitely something we've considered. Yeah. And looking at, you know, where we both want to take our careers personally as well, because I don't think that Brava would be a side project for forever. Yes. Um, it, it'll be either, you know, we're both 100% in or or we could be acquired. Yes. But who knows, right? Um, we just need to right now focus on, you know, the, the main strategies of expansion and making people aware of the brand and, and see where that goes. One of the benefits of being a private company is that you don't have to answer questions like this. But do you do you have angel investors uh, or, or VCs who are who have invested in you and are now have a sort of horizon? No, we actually personally invested in the company, okay. and we do. We're fortunate enough to have some young entrepreneur loans. Okay. Yeah, we're working with a local nonprofit in Montreal where we have mentors, and so we don't have angel investors yes. or love money at all. But um, we do have mentors behind us that are, are going to be pushing us through this next year. Yes, but but not necessarily <clears throat> pushing you for an exit strategy. No. If you were to sort of anticipate five years down the road, and presumably you guys have five-year and 10-year plans, but mm-hmm. like five years from now, where do you anticipate Brava being? Where we anticipate and hope yeah. Brava would be, would be, you know, similar to like one of the American type of companies where we... Uh, we're really known in North America, yeah, and maybe even a little bit overseas internationally. And I mean, that would be the ideal situation because the sport, and especially women in the sport, is growing exponentially. So I don't think, even though we have a niche market, I don't think it's it's decreasing at all. Yeah. So there'll just be a little bit more space for us. Yeah. But hopefully, that's where. Well, I mean, that's where we hope Bravo will be. You know, I think we both have the motivation to push it there. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. That was Stephanie Jamain, co-founder of Brava Triathlon. If you like this show, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite listening app. Drop us a review or let us know a disruptive Canadian business leader who you'd like to hear from. I'm Noel Halsman. You can reach me at nhalsman at oath.com or find me on Twitter at at ng The show is produced by Stephanie Werner. We'll see you next week.